Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. I'm Alan Thomas. I'm joined today by Luis Adiamondo co-founder and chief strategy officer of the Praetorian Group. How you doing, Lewis? I'm doing well, Alan. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. We're just going to go right into it and just ask you to tell us a little bit about your company and what you guys do. Sounds great. Uh, well, first, I'd like to say hello to your audience and, and thank you for having me, uh, or us, I should say. It's a great pleasure to be on your podcast uh, and very happy to talk to your audience about what we're doing. So we at the Praetorian Group are the first cryptocurrency company in the world to file our initial coin offering or ICO with the securities regulators known as the SEC in the US. Um, the high level 10,000 foot view of our business model is we are a crypto real estate investment vehicle which will raise $250 million to buy a portfolio valued at between 200 million and 600 million in the first 12 months uh, of our existence uh, post ICO to support the value of our token and set the foundation for our phase two, which will be a merchant services platform similar to a Visa or MasterCard that will allow regular everyday people to spend the cryptocurrency that they currently possess in our wallet application that we will start building again right after our ICO. That's a 10,000-foot view. Uh, it, it 
will get a little more complex, I'm sure, uh, as we continue to discuss what our company does. But initially, your audience should think of us as sort of a real estate investment trust, as a foundation, and a Visa or MasterCard for cryptocurrency on top of that foundation. And in terms of the the real estate, you said I know you said a real estate investment trust. Now, will the will the focus be on commercial or on residential, or will it be a mix of both? It will be a mix of both, but the focus at the outset will be residential. Uh, our business model calls for more residential investment than commercial because when we look at the way the world is moving and we see the quote-unquote Amazonization of the world, commercial space gives me a little bit of a pause because ultimately we see commercial spaces uh, continuing to lose tenancy. Uh, if we focus on residential real property, we'll be able to have a consistent flow, inflow of capital that we will be able to take the net profits from and divvy out to our token holders, which separates us from the pack when we look at ourselves versus other cryptocurrency companies in existence today. And, and were, were you in real estate by trade or were you in tech by trade? How did, how did the group or what drew what in your background drew you to this group, to this organization? Uh, you know, to... To be frank, the I guess the, the first draw or my biggest draw to cryptocurrency broadly uh, had been my, my political leanings and my political philosophies. Uh, I, I guess I, I would consider myself a libertarian. So that libertarian ethos of sound money certainly uh, rang true when I started reading about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin way back in, I would say, late 2012, early 2013. Know, picking up the Bitcoin white paper and, and leafing through it and really uh, grasping the power that this new, we'll call it digital asset, uh, gives to people. Uh, the cap supply, uh, the peer-to-peer -peer ease, no middleman, no bankers necessary to transfer value between people. It was very alluring to me, but I sort of watched from the sidelines. I was still a little timid uh, at that time. Um, to answer your question more directly, I am a lawyer by trade. Uh, I graduated law school in 2010. I went right into practice with my current partner, uh, the CEO of the company, Gerard Morona. He's an attorney as well. Uh, we had a general practice. We did have a quite substantial real estate uh, practice within our firm, uh, which gave us a background in, in real estate as well. Uh, and over time, as I continued to read about cryptocurrency and then when Ethereum came out and ICOs became something very real and manageable, I decided to dive in, talk to my current partner and say, look, you know, I see some gaps in Bitcoin and Ethereum and the like, and I'd like to fill them with our own cryptocurrency and offer the market something that they're probably very hungry for, but we want to do it in a compliant way. And that's another separating factor between us and the rest of the cryptocurrency market. Uh, like I said earlier in the show, we're the first and only company to file an S-1 registration statement with the SEC. So we're trying to do uh, the cryptocurrency game, but in a regulate, regulated fashion. Uh, and that separates us from the pack because, you know, there's a lot of uh, ICO scams and ICO fraud out there. And we're looking to be very different and direct with the, the regulators because we believe in the space and we believe that, ICOs are a great vehicle to fund amazing projects like ours, but you need to do it the right way. And the space seems to be full of people who run contrary to that line of thinking, but 
Uh, as an attorney, I'm a bit more pragmatic about it uh, than most of the, we'll call them the cowboys of the ICO space. Uh, and I really believe that our company should stand out uh, as a leader in the space versus the others who kind of thumb their noses at the regulators. And, and so I wanted to ask you about that. You, is, is the reason that, that everybody else, or like you said, the cowboys, that they kind of, is the reason that they kind of thumb their nose at, at registering with the SEC or just regulators in general? Is it, is it just a general lack of knowledge or is it a specific fear that they have that they won't be able to, they won't be able to operate the way that they want to? Or, or what's, I guess, what's the barrier that you guys were able to, able to get over that seems to be keeping everybody else from doing that? That, that's a great question, and I think it's important for your audience to understand it, so thank you for asking. But uh, So I think part of it is that we'll call, I'll call it a crypto-anarchist view of the space uh, broadly that says, well, you know, we created this digital asset and this ability to transfer uh, assets peer-to-peer so that we don't have to deal with the regulators, we don't have to deal with the banks, we don't have to deal with anyone else, we can do it on our own in a decentralized fashion. And that's great, and that ethic is great. However, in, specifically in the U.S., but worldwide, because you know usually the world follows what the U.S. does from a regulatory perspective, uh, we see that the SEC is, and CFTC and, and the, all the other regulators, all the other alphabet regulators, like I, I call them, are taking really keen interest in cryptocurrency uh, because they, they understand that while this technology is something that they probably won't be able to stop they do feel that they need to corral it and protect retail investors and, and what I would call uneducated investors from the fraud in the space. Because, you know, as we've seen, and there are plenty of examples, uh, especially if your uh, audience is familiar with cryptocurrency, there are plenty of examples of fraud in the space. So the regulators are going to step in. And you asked that there are barriers. And I don't believe that there are really barriers. It's, a, it's an expense, certainly. And it's a substantial expense to hire the right legal team to put together an S-1 and file it with the SEC like we did. But at the same time, it's a, a more substantial cost to not file with the SEC and have them send you a subpoena and start answering that subpoena with the legal team that you're going to have to hire post-selling of your cryptocurrency. So we took a, a very conservative route, but I think it's the smart route because if, if the space continues to ignore the regulators, they're going to come down hard on the space. If we can get in the sandbox with the regulators and play nice with the regulators, I believe that both sides of the equation, the regulators and the, the crypto businessmen, let's call it, or the crypto uh, issuers, will be very happy with the, the resulting uh, dust settling, so to speak. Uh, you know, we, we are of the, of the mind as a company that we would rather play nice with the regulators and try and help them understand what we're doing, why it's important, how it could revolutionize the world from a technology perspective and from a, a capital raising perspective and hopefully help them craft any new regulations that are coming down the pipeline rather than say, you know, like I said earlier, some, some are nose at them and, and ignore them and let them come down on us hard and really regulate this amazing opportunity that entrepreneurs have to raise capital out of existence. So I don't think there are, are, are barriers other than maybe those those two pieces. The, the crypto anarchist view of the world that says, you know, screw the regulators, we're going to do it our way, they don't control us, and the the cost associated with complying. And it's not only a one-time cost of filing. You know, once you're registered, there are ongoing costs of 
reporting, uh, audits, et cetera. So I, I can see why companies are hesitant to file, but at the same time, any legitimate business entity that's trying to raise capital, especially in the U.S., should seriously consider filing like we did and, and engage the regulators and, and hopefully uh, find a good result, like I am sure that we will. And do you think that it's a, a, a inevitability that some of the world's governments will probably be trying to put together their own cryptocurrencies in order to try 100%. to keep people close to them? Absolutely, 100%. I, I mean, the, the interesting thing is uh, every so often in the crypto space, you'll see that, quote-unquote, China is banning all ICOs and, you know, they're not allowing any more money out of the country and blah, blah, blah. See, a lot of the governments that what I would call um, authoritarian governments of the world are seeing capital flight because of cryptocurrency and people's access to cryptocurrency. Because, you know, if a Chinese national wants, uh, it's harder now. But in the past, before they really came down on, on the space, they were able to buy Bitcoin or, or other altcoins and, and ship it out of China. Uh, now you're, you're seeing it very difficult, and it's difficult for the citizens to do that. But I believe that you'll see the PBOC, so the Chinese Central Bank, will actually issue their own cryptocurrency alongside of the other floating cryptocurrencies out there today. Uh, but they will restrict it in a way that theirs will always be the primary uh, way to, to transfer value for Chinese nationals. But you will see other governments do it. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Federal Reserve put out uh, a crypto dollar. Uh, you've seen Venezuela put out the Petro, so they, they have a cryptocurrency backed by their oil reserves. So it, it will become more and more common over time. But due to the fact that the space is very anarchist by nature, I don't think that those cryptos will be adopted widely or as widely as, as let's say, a Bitcoin or hopefully uh, the Pax coin, our uh, Praetorian Group's coin, because people in this space today have a, a little bit of a doubt around government and government control of money. But that's a great question uh, that you asked. And, and I think it's important for your audience to understand that really anyone can issue a cryptocurrency. What's going to give that cryptocurrency value is what's behind it. So, you know, there's an argument out there that if, if you look at the dollar, right now it's not backed by anything but the quote-unquote full-facing credit of the U.S. government. So what does that really mean? It means that our military is very strong and you better accept the dollar or else you're going to meet our military. Uh, but it used to be in a, in a pre-1930s you know, well, uh, world and earlier that the U.S. dollar was backed by gold, the gold reserves at Fort Knox. Uh, and at the, uh, So, yeah, the gold reserves at, at Fort Knox. Now it's backed by nothing. So that was one of the holes that, that we wanted to fill as a company because people say, well, Bitcoin is digital gold. And I would argue that it's not. There's no value proposition outside of the fact that there's a cap supply and that it's a distributed ledger. So no one owns the actual, um, we'll call it transaction database of all the Bitcoin transactions. But if people say one day, I don't want to get behind Bitcoin, or I don't believe in Bitcoin anymore, or Bitcoin's too slow, I want to get out of it, then the value crashes and there's nothing to support that value. With the Praetorian Group, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, we love cryptocurrency. We love the fact that you don't need a bank or a government to transfer value between people, but you need to have an underlying value behind your currency in order to keep it supported. And that's where the, the residential and small 
piece of, of the portfolio of commercial property comes in uh, to give that support of the currency at the outset to, to tell the investing public, hey, you're trusting us to execute on our business plan. We're telling you we want to give you a return on your investment. And we're going to do that from the outset because we're going to have cash flow right away, right after our uh, initial coin offering. We're going to be able to go out and buy properties that are giving us cash flow as um, rents, and the net profit's going to be distributed to you. You don't get a net profit from the U.S. dollar. You don't even get a quote-unquote net profit from gold. Gold, gold and the dollar and all these other, even Bitcoin, all of the, uh, all the value that you're getting on your investment is found in the appreciation of the asset. There's no dividend stream or cash flow coming off of that. We change the model. And I think it's really, really exciting what we're doing. And, you know, once your audience hears this and understands exactly what we're doing, I think that light bulb will go off and say, hey, these guys are the real deal. They're coming up with an interesting way of looking at value and value preservation. And, and how I store the value that I create on a daily basis. Yeah, because you're because you, you're saying that actually, I mean, because you have something tangible actually backing your particular your particular coins, and that you're using like you're using real estate, your residential real estate. Exactly, but you know, like I, I like to when when people ask me, well, what, what separates your company from or your currency? Because I like to, I really do like to call our token a currency. I know that it might not fit the textbook definition of currency, but Currency is a means of transferring value, right? So if you look at the dollar, when you go to work tomorrow, you know, or when Joe Sixpack goes to work at the factory, he gets paid in dollars. Those dollars represent the value that he created for his company, right? Now, if he takes those dollars and puts them in the bank, he's going to get essentially no return on the value he created. And by the way, the day after he deposits his cash in the bank or you know, the check that he gets from work is, is deposited in the bank, that exact amount of value uh, in dollars is worth less because of inflation. And the fact that the Federal Reserve continues to print money and make dollars less and less valuable. What Praetorian is doing is saying, okay, we'll take your, your value represented in PAC tokens that you're creating, and we're going to give you more value on top of it each day. So our, our currency is deflationary in nature because it's giving you more and more value the longer you hold on to it. So you're not losing money by holding packs. You're actually gaining money because as a holder, you're receiving your rights to the net profits of the company. But you can also spend your packs if you wanted to, to buy you know, XYZ uh, once we have the debit platform up and running. So it's a, very, it's a very different and new look at currency and what currency can be and how currency can actually help your value grow over time rather than lose value over time by holding dollars. And so in, in talking about the token and, and the company itself, what are some of the difficulties that you guys have had to overcome in order to get to this point? Sure. Well, we, you know, initially, uh, from a technology perspective, we had to find the right developers. And, and that took a, a few different go-arounds because, you know, the technology is very new on how to create a token. It's not complex for a lot of coders. Uh, and developers in, in the cryptocurrency space will tell you creating the token is the easiest part. But our team is very focused on having the right people around us. So while any, you know, coder could probably code a token into existence, we want to make sure that we're working with good people that understand our mission and believe in our mission. So that was, that was the first hump or hurdle that we had to, to get over. 
the next one was getting our white paper down pat and understanding exactly how we were going to present the idea that we had, you know, perfecting our business model, making sure that we were preserving value and giving value back to our investors right away. And that really separates us from, from the pack. You know, you have a lot of ICOs going out there, over a thousand uh, over the last, let's call it two years. And, you know, really none of them are returning anything back to, and I, I'm painting with a broad, broad brush here, so forgive me, but none of them are really returning value back to their investors outside of the gains and the value of their token. So, you know, we're trying to give a, a dividend or a reward for holding uh, to our investors as a thank you for believing in, in what we're doing. Uh, other difficulties were finding the, the right legal team because even though I'm a lawyer and my partner's a lawyer, when you're dealing with the SEC, you have to have experienced securities lawyers be able to craft the uh, securities documents that have to be filed with the regulators. So, you know, that was a uh, an interesting um, hurdle that we had to jump over as well. But, you know, it, it, I guess the, the hardest part of, of, of running an ICO or putting together a company that's getting ready to ICO is really finding the right people to surround yourself with uh, in a space that's so new and so, you know, th there's so much money pouring into it. There's a lot of people that talk a big game but don't deliver. You know, uh, my partner puts it this way. You have to kiss a lot of frogs to find your prince. So, you know, we've been out there meeting with a lot of people that made a lot of promises that couldn't deliver. Um, so that's probably the, that right there is the hardest part of, of this whole mission is just finding the right people to trust and the right people to work with. Uh, and I guess my, my entire answer, there's that thread working through. It's finding the right people and building the right team in order to deliver on the mission because we know that the business plan is right. We know that the, the company is built in an attractive way for an investor community, uh, but getting it out there and putting the, the right team together to deliver on the business plan that we put out, that's probably the, the most difficult part. But I think we've done that successfully from, you know, our development team through our new legal team, through our uh, media and PR team, we've really put together a solid group of people who, you know, I'm sure can, can deliver on the, the, value proposition that we put out in the marketplace with the Praetorian Group. And I guess that would also qualify as one of your, your big wins for the company so far too, right? Being able to kind of sift through all these people, all these developers, and really boil it down to this is our, this is the best version of what our team could be. Exactly. And, you know, it, it, that's a good thing. That's a good way to put it. I, I actually, when I was answering the question, I didn't think of it that way, but it, it's one of the, the classic interview uh, things that you're told to do, you know, go with the challenges with the positive. Uh, and I guess I did that without even thinking about it. So thank you for pointing <laughs> that out. <laughs> but yeah, you know, look, in, in the evolution of a company from, from startup to, we'll call it successful version one, you know, like let's say Apple 1.0 or, you know, Microsoft 1.0. Uh, so from startup to Apple 1.0, there are going to be a lot of changes in staffing and the people that you're surrounding yourself with and the manufacturers you're using, the developers you're using, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so it was, it was more of a growing pain than anything, but you know, you, you kiss enough frogs, you find your prince. And, and we, we did that the right way. Now we're really happy with the team we have. Uh, we're continuing to build out our board of directors. We want to get some really strong members on the board to, um, I guess, bolster our credibility and, and help us 
with the pieces of the puzzle where we have an understanding, but we're not deeply ingrained in. So for instance, I myself have uh, an understanding of the merchant services space. I've studied it in order to write the business plan and understand how we need to execute on that. Uh, I need to, needed to do a lot of research, but I'm no expert in merchant services. So, you know, we plan on bringing on board members who have that experience um, from various companies that people would know their name in order to help us deliver on the promises that we're making in that space. And so as you're, as you're putting together these different elements, uh, or, you know, the tokens and, and where you're going to go, is sometimes ideas from people or, or certain wants where you say, well, that's a little bit too ambitious to pull off today or this year, but maybe next year or a couple of years down the road. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's, it's interesting you put it that way. I, myself and my partner, we seem to be the ones that are quote unquote overly ambitious. We're shooting for the, we're shooting for the stars. You know, we, we really believe that we have a powerhouse team that can deliver. Uh, and we believe that our business model is exactly what the cryptocurrency space, the credit, the accredited investors and the retail investors want. Um, when we get suggestions, we're very open to them. While our core business model has not changed, how we are going to carry out the different elements within the business model have changed. Because like any good, uh, let's call it C-level executive, you need to be agile and versatile and willing to listen to other people's ideas. If you find a company that has C-level executives that are rigid and aren't willing to listen to new ideas, you should get away from that company immediately. Uh, my past, I've worked in the financial services sector. I worked at three different major investment banks. Um, and if you want to talk about rigidity of ideas, just go work at an investment bank. Uh, it, it's incredible what you see out there from a management, uh, a really senior level management, all the way down to middle management, all the way down through you know, the most junior employees. The, the fear that there is about changing and moving and being very uh, versatile. Uh, I, that's probably why I didn't fit in that space because I'm I'm very willing to to be moved in a certain direction and move people in certain directions. And I think we have that right dynamic in our company where while we know what our core mission is, we're not afraid to make pivots on how we're going to deliver on our business plan. And so, Lewis, what is the roadmap for Praetorian look like the next year or two? What are we sure. expect so in the next, uh, I would call it week, week and a half, our legal team is going to file what's known as an amended S-1. So it will update our, our filing with the regulators to fill uh, some gaps that we had in the ori original filing, as well as updated numbers, company numbers, you know, audited financials, et cetera. And that should be the, the final rendering of our document before the regulators comment on it and, you know, potentially say, okay, you guys are registered. So that's, that's very, very short term. After that, you know, I anticipate that, let's call it by the end of June, early July, that, that we should be registered. Now, again, that's an anticipation. There's no guarantee. I, I can't say that the regulators are going to say, hat tip, you're in, go for it. Um, you know, there might be some an elongated comment period. But if all goes well, let's say by the end of June, early July, we'll be given the thumbs up by the regulators. Then we'll ramp up our marketing effort in order to make people aware of our, uh, us and our offering, uh, which by then we would be the first to be registered by the SEC, and that should be 
press enough to get us out there. But, uh, you know, we're out there every day pounding the pavement, you know, doing shows like yours to make people aware of us. Um, so I would say by late summer, early fall, we should be in the, in the pre-sale of our ICO. Uh, we'll be offering a discount to the ICO pricing uh, in the pre-sale. And, you know, figure we'll roll into the ICO in the fall. Then we'll start going at once the ICO closes, we're out there buying properties. And we'll spend the next year buying properties and developing our software in order to have an application on people's smartphones to hold their cryptocurrencies in our wallet, uh, which will be associated with our debit card and be spendable in you know your everyday corner stores. So it'll be an exciting, let's call it 12 to 18 months from a acquisitions perspective and software development perspective. I'm really excited to jump in once that ICO closes. And so Lewis, what would be your your final thoughts for our audience? What's the big takeaway that they should come away with from listening to this interview? I think they're, uh, again, I wanna thank them for listening. Uh, I, I think it's really cool that we have such interest in the cryptocurrency world and cryptocurrency space. Uh, and I want to thank them for listening about the Praetorian Group. Uh, I, I think one of the, the main takeaway for them, there's a couple of main takeaways. So the, the very, very top level takeaway is please learn about cryptocurrency, the cryptocurrency space, what crypto assets are, and what blockchain technology is, because it's coming and it's going to change the world for the better. Within the next three to five years, blockchain technology will be ubiquitous. And, you know, people will need to understand what's going on with blockchain in order to take advantage of what's going to happen. If your audience, the second point is, if your audience is interested in investing their capital, they should look at cryptocurrency as a way to grow the value that they create every day. So what that means is, just like they invest in their 401k or, you know, in their IRA or even in their individual brokerage account, they should begin to look at cryptocurrency as an opportunity to grow their money. It's very young still. I think from the cryptocurrency perspective, we're at the bottom of the first, uh, top of the first inning with maybe two outs right now. We're so early. This is like the beginning of the internet. So there are very, very great opportunities to make a lot of money for people if they're smart. Uh, and, and they read and they invest uh, wisely. The final takeaway I would say is look at our company, Praetorian Group. Uh, our website is the praetoriangroup.io, praetoriangroup.io, and you could read about our company. You could talk with me directly via our Telegram group. Um, you know, engage us. I want you to learn about cryptocurrency and I want you to learn why we're different. The, the reasons why we're different, we're, re we're going to be registered with the securities re uh, regulators in the U.S. No other crypto company has attempted that. And I don't think any other cryptocurrency company will attempt it for some time. Our cryptocurrency will be linked to a real asset unlike any other cryptocurrency in existence. Bitcoin has no asset behind it. Ethereum has no asset behind it. Litecoin has no asset behind it. We're different in that way. And finally, we return capital to our investors who hold our token for the long term. I would like to think of Praetorian Group as digital gold. And I think if you hold our PAX token in the long term, you will come out a very happy, happy investor. Well, Lewis, I definitely want to thank you for coming on to the podcast and giving us this information. I definitely wanted to make sure to get you guys a website out there and methods of communication. So thank you for that. You know, so um uh so we'll know exactly where to go and find y'all. Um 
but again, like I said, just thank you for your time and your expertise, and and uh, we wish you well. No, thank you so much for having me, and I thank you again. Thank your audience for listening to uh, the conversation, and really great question, Jess. I really appreciate your time, and thank you so so much for having me on. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here. Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. <laughs>